Hello, if you are listening, you made it to the second episode of Coffee with Counselors. Thanks for joining. Today, I want to talk about um, all behavior is being purposeful. It's a relatively simple concept. I think most people would agree on the surface. However, when we explore it a little bit deeper, it's not as easily acceptable as, as people might think. One of the things I, I always talk about when I'm when I'm interviewing for a new therapist is I ask them how they conceptualize therapy, how does therapy work, what's important um, in that therapeutic relationship, and you come up with all different kinds of answers. Because again, on the surface, it seems like a, a simple question, especially for a seasoned therapist. How does therapy work? We do therapy every day. We interact with our clients every day. We think we have a good concept of it, but um, when you think about just such a broad question, it's challenging to answer. That reminds me of a. <clears throat> Of another saying, they compare therapy um, to a chess master. And you ask the chess master, you say, what is the, the best move in all of chess? And that's an impossible question to answer because the move is largely dependent on the other pieces of the board. What's going on uh, with the, your opponent's strategy, you know, their tendencies, what's going on. And that changes uh, with each move. And so it is with therapy. There's no one perfect move therapy, one perfect intervention, and it's largely dependent on our relationship with the client, client's motivation, what they hope to, to achieve, and their response to us, and, and a hundred of different other complex variables that, that factor into that. You know, but One of the things that I, I think is just constant in all therapy is the idea of congruence, is that we want our clients to behave as they want to behave to exist as they want to exist in the world. And that's not always the case. Many times we do things that are self-defeating, that compromise our goals, that contradict what we want to achieve. And so all therapy really is, is, is kind of bringing insight into that. And I think that starts with an awareness of why I do the things I do. What I get out of, of, of doing things that, that seem to contradict my my overall goals or, or how I want to exist. I did a, a case consultation recently with a, with a clinician and he was talking about his client's depression. And this client was, was discussing in the, in the group session uh, about how depressed they are because um, their mom is often critical of them. They gave the example of the client receiving criticisms for not cleaning good enough. Mom says I should clean better, but I'm, I'm lazy with my cleaning. And that makes me depressed. And so one of the suggestions I had was, well, maybe the client should clean better. Well, obviously that's laughable. The client could clean as, as well as she wants. She most likely still won't get the approval of mom. And even if she does, we know that that external validation uh, is really shallow. We might, we might, you know, feel good for the moment, but at its core, it's not a durable solution. And so we really need to get into the, the root of, you know, what is this person telling themselves? What control do they have? Restore power to their thinking, their emotions, their behavior. Because in the moment, it feels like to our client that they're just at, at the mercy their depression, some chemical imbalance completely out of their control, which simply is not the case. So even when there's 
uncomfortable emotions, things like depression. There's something to be gained, always, by how we think, how we behave, how we choose to feel. And that's hard for clients, especially. And this is what I mean by it seems simple on the surface, but you know, if you really dig into it, it's, it's challenging. Because what we're essentially saying to our clients is, you're responsible for your depression. You're responsible for how you think. You're responsible for how you feel and how you behave. And it's a lot more comfortable to think, no, I'm at the mercy of this chemical imbalance and there's nothing I can do about it. And oftentimes what we do, a less seasoned clinician will go in and they'll start offering solutions. Well, try to think about it this way. Did you, did you get a coloring book, take a shower, uh, go for an exercise, go for a run. We, we offer all these uh, coping mechanisms, coping skills and things like that. And those things are, are they're helpful, no doubt but they're limited, again, in their durability. Because if I continue to tell myself that I must be perfect, you must be nice, the world must be easy, I'm going to depress myself. And so we must gently, tactfully nudge our clients into taking responsibility for how they are thinking, how they are existing in the world. Because only then do they have the control to change it. And so this is what I go into saying about all behavior is purposeful. There's something to either be gained by the decisions we make or something to be avoided, some discomfort that we don't want to experience. And we really need to dig into that, figure out what that is. What is to be gained by making myself lonely? What do I have to gain by being angry or depressed? Now, that being said, there are things that are outside of our control. Depression obviously is. There is some some biochemical you know, factors in there that are outside of a person's control, no doubt. And I, I would never want to minimize that because I think people at sometimes when they hear that, they feel uh, accused, challenged, blamed for how they feel. And that's not the case whatsoever. What the case is, is I don't have the ability to control an itch. However, I do have the ability to control if, when, and how I scratch it. Albert Ellis has a wonderful scenario of a blind man. It's one of my favorite and I use it quite often. He talks about, is it true that every blind person you meet has depression? Of course not, that's not true. And a blind person wants sight more than anything that most of us could ever dream of wanting. If they had their vision, they would be able to experience things that that, um, are are, outside outside of their comprehension. But even though they want it so bad, It is not true that all blind people are depressed. Now, some blind people might be depressed, but not all. And what that shows us is that blindness does not cause depression. However, rather what we tell ourselves about blindness causes depression. For example, if I tell myself, this blindness is, is too hard, you don't understand, I don't deserve it, I shouldn't have to deal with it, it's not fair then yes, I'm going to depress myself. Absolutely. I'm going to make a, a tough situation much more t- much more challenging. However, if I tell myself, this blindness is not fair. I don't like it. I wish it never happened. But tough. Where else in my life can I achieve a reasonable amount of happiness despite having this disability that I wouldn't choose ever? Then I have the ability to create a reasonable amount of happiness for myself. And so it is with depression. You know, now blindness is a, is a physical disability. 
depression is more of a, a mental health, a less tangible disability. But the, the comparison is, is very similar. We get depressed about our depression. We get anxious about our anxiety. We wake up in the morning depressed, not feeling the way I want to feel, and I tell myself I should feel happy all the time. I should feel the way I want to feel all the time. And if I don't, it's a tragedy. And so there, therefore, I, I compound my depression. I make it worse than it actually is. Rather, I could say, this is bad. I wish I didn't feel this way, but today I do. Today I feel tired, unmotivated, resentful. But where in my life can I achieve a reasonable amount of happiness? And again, that restores control to our clients, and it should be empowering. It should not be a, an accusation or feel like blame. It should be empowering that I do have an enormous amount of control over how I think and therefore how I feel and then hopefully how I behave. But until we can unpack all of that and figure out what it is that I'm getting out of my decisions, of my thinking, then I have the, the opportunity to say, what are the alternatives? Is what I'm trying to achieve by making myself feel a certain way or behaving a certain way? Is there other ways of, of achieving that? more efficient ways of achieving that. Now I talked about Albert Ellis and he might say that the, the past really does not matter and, and that we want to focus on the here and the now and, and what's going on. But the truth is the past does give us some insight, in my opinion, into why I, I have certain patterns of behavior. And that awareness in itself, in my experience, gives me the opportunity to, to try alternative ways of thinking feeling and then behaving and hopefully I, I try those out I practice them I experiment with them whether in a group setting or outside of the therapy office um, and if I'm successful I you know I, I try it more you know, and if not I try something else so this was episode two of coffee with counselors thank you so much for joining I hope you got something out of this I'm looking forward to continuing these episodes um, and we'll see you next time thanks